Hi, and thank you for tuning in to the Fireside Church Podcast. Fireside is a new church on the North Shore of Massachusetts. Our mission is to love God, love others, and help others do the same. For more information, check us out at firesidechurch.org. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for welcoming me today and our family. We are here. The the husband is here, Rich, and the three boys, Jack, Sam, and Tim. And uh, it's really a pleasure to be worshiping with you this morning. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we do thank you for a beautiful day. We thank you that the sun is shining. We thank you that your love is real. God, I ask that you would work in our hearts and our minds today, that you'd convict us where we need to be convicted, challenge us where we need to be challenged, comfort those, Lord, who need comfort, encourage those who feel discouraged, and when we leave here changed people because we have met with you, the living God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, imagine for a moment if Jesus walked through your neighborhood, okay? Maybe you're uh, washing dishes. That's what I am normally doing, looking out my kitchen window. And imagine if you saw Jesus just walking down the road. And he's got his entourage behind him, his disciples. I mean, would you run out and say something to him? Of course you would, right? You'd probably say, Jesus, but what would you say? What would be the thing on your mind? Like, what is the one thing that you would run out and ask him for or tell him? Maybe it's, Lord, I need healing, or I need help, or finances are a mess, or this relationship. God, help me. What would you say? Today in Scripture, we are going to meet a woman who uh, saw Jesus. He was walking through her neighborhood. And it was not a typical move for Jesus. He was way off the deep path for him and his disciples. And when he saw, when she saw him, she knew exactly what she wanted. She cried out for mercy. She said, Lord, have mercy on me. She said, my daughter is suffering terribly. Lord, have mercy on me. She knew exactly what she wanted. Now, a couple of years ago, do you remember, maybe it was three years ago, when we had like three blizzards in a row? Do you remember that? And the snow was piled high until July. It was in the parking lots. Well, I remember that winter. I mean, winters are tough here, aren't they? I know it's super hot outside, but I actually don't mind that much because winter is just so hot. So, it was a tough winter. It was probably the end of February, maybe the beginning of March. And Rich came home with flowers. Now, I love my husband dearly, and if you get to know him, you like him too. Rich never comes home with flowers, okay? Ever. But it's just what I needed. They were yellow tulips. And I took that uh, bundle, it was a stiff bundle of yellow tulips, and I remember I plunged it into a blue vase and we stuck it up on the piano. And we were just sort of waiting for them to open up. But they were cinched just like this. And I remember I'd come down the stairs every morning, kind of look over the tulips, and still, just like this. And just waiting for them to open up, but they refused to open up. And of course, all I could think, my husband, the cost estimator, you know, got me some discount tulips or something, you know, like trick tulips that never open up. And I would look every day, finally they were just forgotten. And, and that was it. But I remember thinking about them, 
He's tight peddled. Even when I'm begging, crying out for mercy, and I'm just waiting for him to open up and release it. Like, God, you know I need mercy. You know I'm asking for it. Why can't you just open up and release some of that beautiful, subtle scent, the mercy I need? Well, in the passage today, this woman, she sees Jesus, and she cries out for mercy. And we're going to read the passage in a minute, and you're going to see that Jesus almost seems to ignore her. It's an interesting passage. Not only does he seem to ignore her, he also references uh, an insult, makes reference to an insult. So this is from Matthew chapter 15, starting in verse 21. Matthew 15, verse 21. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. So it's one of the strangest passages in scripture because when I read it, I think this is not my Sunday school Jesus. All right? So we've got this woman. She sees Jesus walking through her neighborhood. He's not usually there. She runs out to him, cries out for mercy, and she says, Lord, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly. She's suffering from demon possession. Now, that's a little bit strange, right? Why doesn't she run out and say, Lord, have mercy on my daughter? That's not what she says. She says, have mercy on me. But you know what that's like, don't you? Have you ever cared for somebody? Maybe it's somebody very small or somebody older, an aging parent or grandparent, and you've cared for them long and hard and with everything you've got. And emotionally and physically, it takes a toll on you. And you feel depleted, and you need mercy. Yes, this daughter needs mercy, but she, this mother, as a caregiver, desperately needs mercy too. So she's begging Jesus, not only as a woman, have mercy on me, but as a mother, she says, have mercy on me. And you can see why she begs for this. Because she can't sleep at night. This mother is up at night. She's not counting sheep. She's up at night counting the number of times that her daughter has turned to self-harm. This mother needs mercy. This mother is up at night thinking of the day's events. And remembering how as they were walking through the street, she just on a walk with her little girl. Other parents cross over to the other side.
to shield their typical kids. This mother needs mercy. This mother cries out for mercy because at night she can't sleep because her daughter is off howling in the night, crying out, and this mother cannot help her. There's nothing this mother can do to help her child, so this mother needs mercy. This mother is crying out for mercy because when she looks at her daughter, she doesn't see her daughter. She sees this hollow and vacant stare, and she wonders, where's my little girl? So yes, this mother is crying out for mercy. Lord, have mercy on me. She cries out to Jesus as a woman, have mercy. She cries out as a mother, have mercy on me. She's also crying out to Jesus as an outsider. You see, she is not Jewish. She's not an approved recipient of God's grace and mercy. That's something that God said he would give to his covenant people, the people with whom he was in a relationship. But she's not. She's, she's an outsider. And God's mercy is his compassion. It's his loving kindness. It's God maintaining his relationship with his people, even when they don't deserve it, even when they've walked away from him. And this woman begs Jesus for mercy, and she says, do you have some crumbs for me? An outsider. I know I'm not one of your people. I know I'm not Just a crumb for me. So you get this woman who cries out to Jesus. She cries out for mercy as a woman, as a mother, as an outsider. But even more than that, she's crying out to Jesus for mercy as an enemy. An enemy of God. Matthew uses this odd desi uh, designation. He refers to her, verse 22, as the Canaanite woman. From that vicinity. Now the strange thing about that is, is the only time that word is used in the New Testament, and there were no Canaanites. I mean, Canaanites did not exist at that time. They did a long time ago, back in Moses' day, they existed, but at this point in time, there were no Canaanites. They, they just didn't exist. So why does he call her a Canaanite? Because he's trying to show us how Jesus' disciples and the religious people felt about this outsider, this mother, this woman. They thought of her not only as an outsider, but as an enemy. You see, the Canaanites, long, long ago, when God told Moses to lead the people and then Joshua to take over the promised land, he said the Canaanites must go. They were a depraved society. They even practiced human sacrifice. And God said, you know, if the Canaanites stay, then you're going to get trapped into their ways. They worship idols. They will lead you astray. And that's exactly what happened. In fact, the first two commandments um, were in direct, uh, were related to the Canaanites. There's only one God. You should have no other gods before me and do not worship any idols. Moses here is thinking of the Canaanites. But the Israelites fell into this trap and their religion of wood and stone just proved too much for the Israelites. It was, it was tangible and they began 
She will bring you down. She is the enemy. She is the outsider. She is filled with all kinds of evil. Yes, she is crying out for mercy, but don't go anywhere near her. Remember those Canaanites. She will lead you astray. So we've got this woman, this mother, this outsider, this enemy, crying out to Jesus, have mercy on me. And she cries out to Jesus because she knows in her heart and mind that Jesus is the only one who can give her the mercy she needs. So you think of your Sunday school, Jesus, I think of mine, and I think, okay, this is the point where Jesus says, wow, let's stop and uh, let's have mercy on this woman and pick her up and shake her off and uh, help her daughter, but he doesn't. We're told in verse 23 that Jesus did not answer a word. He doesn't say, he ignores her. He doesn't say anything. You have to wonder, what on earth is going on here? It's almost as if Jesus is waiting for his disciples to fill the gap. You know, to guys, well, guys, you've been with me for a while. How would you handle this woman, this mother, this outsider, this enemy who's crying out for mercy? What do you guys say? And they step right in, and they have an answer right away. And they say, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. Send her away. That's what they want to do. And Jesus takes their lead. Jesus follows their advice. He says in verse 24, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. You know, I said just to the Jewish people, you know, you're, you are not Jewish. You are from a different area, Phoenicia. I was only sent to them. But isn't it interesting that Jesus is walking through her neighborhood? What's he doing there? Why is he there anyway? So he, he follows their advice. I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. But this woman, in verse 25, persists. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me. She said, and I love this part, because you've got this woman laying everything on the line, right? She's got this gaggle of men surrounding Jesus, now surrounding her. She has stopped the flow of traffic. Now they can't walk anywhere. She's kneeling in front of them. No one can move, and she demands, Lord, have mercy on me. And she ignores the onlookers. She ignores the glares. She ignores the whispers that say she doesn't deserve mercy. You know what? She doesn't deserve mercy. But neither do they. None of us deserve God's mercy. Not one of us. Not one of us here in this room today deserve God's mercy. But he gives it to us just the same. What does God's mercy look like? I think we see it every day. But the best way we've seen his mercy is on the cross. God's mercy hung on a wooden cross. God's mercy was sealed in a tomb covered with a cold stone slab. God's mercy rose with the dawn on Easter morning. God's mercy is the peace treaty that is signed 
in the blood of his son that says forgiven fully, freely, forever. That's God's mercy. Nobody deserves it. But he gives it to us just the same. So here we think of, we've got this woman and she is persistent even with this crowd of people around, around her because she knows the mercy she needs and she knows that there is only one give it to her. Lord, have mercy on me. And that's when you think, okay, Jesus, now you can do it. Now you can lift her up and say, I have mercy on you. But he doesn't. He goes one more round with her. And this is a difficult round. He says to her, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their can you imagine? You've got this woman on her hands and knees begging for mercy. And Jesus basically insults her. The word dog, no matter how you cut it, it's an insult. Now, if you look at commentaries and you read scholars on this, they are all over the place because everybody wants to soften Jesus, right? Nobody wants to say, well, Jesus said something that he shouldn't have said or he was a little overboard or he was unkind to this, uh, this woman. So everybody says, you know what? All he's saying is that you've got to, he's got to feed the Jewish people uh, before you feed anybody else. Just like at home, you would feed your children before you feed the family pet. I don't know about you, but we have uh, two dogs and a cat and three wild boys. And it is not the case that the children are fed before the animals. <laughs> Sometimes I don't even know what everybody's eating, but it's like, just get food out there and see who eats what. But, so some scholars say, you know, that's all I'm saying. But there's a, another scholar named Kenneth Bailey, and he just died a few years ago, but he lived in the Middle East for over 40 years. And he says Jesus did intend to use this as an insult. And the word dog, it, it was an insult. Jews used it as an insult. Gentiles used the word as an insult, uh, non-Jews. And he said what Jesus is doing here is he's demonstrating what his disciples' prejudices look like when they're actually acted on. He's saying, okay, Guys, this is what you believe in your heart. She's a woman, she's a mother, she's an outsider, she's an enemy. She doesn't deserve God's mercy. You in your heart and your mind believe that she's a dog. That's what you believe. So let's, let's act on that. Let's act on your belief and see if you are really comfortable with this situation. So that's what Jesus is doing. Do you see what he's doing? He's teaching his disciples. This whole back and forth with this woman that is very difficult for her is a teaching, a lesson from Jesus to say, okay, here she is. Are you really okay with this? Are you really okay with viewing her, viewing her as a dog and sending her away because she keeps shouting out after us? Uh, schools over the years. So my oldest, he's going to be 14 in a few weeks, 
and the youngest now is seven, we've got a 10 year old in between. So I started volunteering in the schools just when Jack was a little guy, and I would do um, cafeteria duty. I would volunteer in the cafeteria, just like this. You've got all the tables set out, and all the little kids, it's very loud in the cafeteria, all the kids are there. I would help open milk cartons, and you'd pick up uh, you know, wrappers and that kind of thing. And you know, kids, they were a little wobbly with their trays, and missed the trash bin, and I could pick it up, that kind of thing. So I did that for a year, and um, I always left with like a little headache at the, at the end of cafeteria duty. So after that, uh, by the time you know Sam got around, I said, you know, what if I recess duty? It's something a little different, get me out of the cafeteria because everything's just so echoey. And I did recess duty. Well, you know, they send the kids out in every kind of weather, right? It doesn't matter. And they need help with the, the snow pants and the boots and the mittens and the hat and everything. And then you just stand there and you freeze, freeze. And you yell things like, slow down, and, you know, that kind of thing. And, I fell and bring kids and bring kids to the nurse. And you know, I would leave from that and I had a headache, and, uh, but a chill that just wouldn't leave. I could never get warm again. By the time the third one came around, I discovered that you could volunteer in the library. Okay? They do not tell new moms this. <laughs> and, uh, so I volunteered in the library, and the library was great. I don't know how they teach the kids this, but they just line up single file and they don't say a word and they all look like they're in awe like don't make a sound so i would get there a little bit early before timmy's class came in and he was just in pre-k and i would uh i, I would just like reshell books that kind of thing you know, a little busy until the kid the kids came in and you know i was putting away the great classics like um dog man and captain captain underpants and doing a very fine work, and then Timmy's class would come in, and I'd make my way over to the pre-K reading nook. Of course, they couldn't read, but it was the reading nook, and they had like these little benches that the kids could sit on, and every child had to pick one book. They could select one book, and most kids did that pretty well, and they'd carry it over, and they'd sit, and it was so fun. I'd sit down, and I'd get these three boys, or these little girls around me, they were just so Dinosaur. 
dinosaurs, and I had monster trucks, two big books. So I thought, how am I going to do this? And it was monster trucks, dinosaurs, monster trucks, dinosaurs. And so I ended up holding one in each hand, and I did something like this. And the monster truck rumbled down the road and bumped into a T-Rex. Wow, look at that. And that. But that didn't last for long. And Timmy was really getting upset. And he looked at me and he said, Mom, make him go away. Make him go away. What did he mean? Tuners down here, they're just supposed to tweak a little. 
Well, I didn't know that. So I took these big pegs up top and I gave them, you know, some really big cranks and the string just snapped like that and went flying across the room. I've actually done that a few times. And now I'm learning my lesson. But sometimes, don't you feel like God is tightening the strings? You know, he's just tightening everything. And you feel like you might snap. Like the pressure is just so much, and you say, Lord, I cannot take any more. Seriously? Like, no more tightening. But he's fine tuning our faith. And he never, never tunes so that we will break and we will snap. But boy, does he get close. And it's in those points, it's in those times in life where I want to encourage you to stick with Jesus. Just like this woman. Don't walk away. Don't leave crying. Don't say he doesn't care. Or everybody else thinks this. Or they're laughing. Or no, stick with him. Because he is the only one who can give you the mercy you need. And if you can see whatever it is that you're going through as a test of faith, then you're going to understand that you're going to come out of it knowing him so much better than had you never gone through that test. Now, he says to this woman, she has a witty reply, and I think Jesus appreciates that. She says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She's sticking with them. And he says, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. She passed the test. She passed it with flying colors. Great tests are given to great students. Are you in the midst of a great test right now? Stick with Jesus. I can't help but think what his disciples and everybody else around Jesus was thinking. This woman still kneeling on the ground. Jesus has used this word dog. Then he tells her, ultimately, that she has great faith. I mean, their jaws just looks dropped. He gives her the mercy she's been asking for. But I can't help but think about Peter. What was he thinking? And of course, we don't know exactly what he was thinking, but I'm just imagining. Because I know in the chapter before this, we have the story about the disciples out on the sea in the midst of a storm, okay? And actually, actually, the waters are calm right now, but you've got the disciples out, and then they see Jesus coming. They don't realize Jesus. They think it's a ghost. He's walking on water. And then Peter realizes, hey, that's Jesus. That's not a ghost. Peter jumps out of the boat, and he starts walking on the water toward him. So this is a miracle, right? People cannot walk on water. So he's walking toward it, but then a storm moves up, right? And the wind starts to pound fierce fists of water at his face. And the rain comes beating down, and Peter takes his eyes off of Jesus, and he begins to sink. And he cries out, for Jesus to help him. He needs mercy. And Jesus comes and he lifts him up and he saves him. And you know what Jesus says to Peter in that moment? You of little faith. 
as he hears Jesus tell her that she has great faith. Of course he remembers those words that Jesus said to him. The big dog disciple had little faith, and the little dog woman had big faith. That's great faith. Great faith sticks with Jesus. Even when people around you are laughing, are whispering, even when it looks like it's against all odds, great faith says I'm going to continue on my journey to Jesus because I know he is the only one who can give me the mercy I need. That's great faith. It doesn't work on me. It doesn't leave crying. It doesn't say Jesus doesn't care or he can't handle this problem or this is too big for him or too small for him. Great faith sticks with Jesus. And he gives us the mercy we need. Back to those tulips. By the end of the week, the tulips had been forgotten. And the only fragrance in the house was the smell of taco meat simmering in the pan and permeating every nook and cranny of our home. The kitchen was in full swing and I was head cook. We talked our shells with mounds of cheese and a heaping side of suppertime insanity. The dogs and the cat played a wild game of tag under our feet. The kids raced back and forth, fetching balls and Legos and army men and spelling homework. Rich and I barked out orders to insubordinate soldiers. The scene was uncivilized. We were waiting to hear from the doctor about one of our son's lab results. He had lost eight pounds in three months, complained of belly pain. I had wedged an old-fashioned water bottle between the curve of my back and the back of the chair. My back had gone out doing something heroic and meaningful. Not really. I had just woken up in the morning and pulled out my covers. And my back went out. <laughs> totally out for a week. Somebody dropped a glass, it broke, it smashed. It was a complete circus. This is basically dinner time at the bends. Then the red-cheeked little one zoomed by, and he crashed onto my lap like a wave of fury on an unsuspecting seashore. I remember my back jolted. And then he wagged his pudgy little finger in the direction of the blue vase. And he said, Mom, look. Your tulips hatched. <laughs> and I love that he said, my tulips hatched. And the whir of the carnival circled around me like a carousel, but I couldn't even hear it anymore. The flowers had hatched, and that made me smile. I smiled because I love that he said hatched. I smiled because I love that he knew what would make me smile. Hatched tulips will always make me smile. And I remember that even in the war of the uproar, tulips still hatch. When I least expect it, the tulip hatches, and God's mercy blooms. I don't know if you're waiting for that tulip to open up, for God to release his mercy in your life. But I want to encourage you in that time, keep great faith. Keep great faith. Continue in your journey to Jesus because he is the only one who can give you the mercy you 